I want to ask um, Michael if you would go ahead and come on up and prepare to read for us out of Colossians chapter 3. Um, we will be reading this morning um, Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. And church, would you please stand with me out of respect for God's word? Michael? Please listen to and heed these words of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. God bless you. Darren. Church, you may have a seat. I say this and remind us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Father, we are reminded of that. Your word is our lamp. Your word is a light unto our path, that you have revealed yourself in your word. And so, Lord, we come now in this moment to submit ourselves to it. May you stir our hearts. May you do work in us by your spirit. We ask and pray this morning these things to your glory and to your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask. Amen. All right. So we go into this text, and as we look into this text, um, we, we could easily come and say, okay, here's a command to, for children to obey their parents, right? Now, we talked about um, husbands, and we talked about wives, and now it's kids, and the easy thing for us to think about is, oh, well, I don't have kids, and so I don't need to be worried about this. Uh, I, I don't have children, I don't, I'm not planning on having kids, or I'm not a child myself, and so I should just preach, be preaching this to our kids' ministry, right? And some of your parents are like, yes, please, preach this to our kids' ministry so that our kids will obey. But I want to just tell you right off the bat, this text is far more profound for all of us in every component of our relationships, um, primarily our relationship between us and our Father in heaven. Because, and I'm going to just kind of give you a little bit of a hint of where we're going, we're all children of God, amen? Like, in that sense. Like, for those of us who have been adopted into his family, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are his children. And so in some respects, this command that is given to the real people in history is also a command for us in this moment right now. And it's a command that Paul gives, which is simply this, children, obey. Children, obey. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you remember that I said that these commands that Paul is giving to us in this text in particular, they're not just rules that Paul is making. They're not just cultural things that he's trying to say to the people of Colossae in that moment. He is trying to address some very specific issues of brokenness in us as people as a result of the fall, right? And so he's trying to speak to that. And so one of the things he's speaking to is the fall that represents itself in all of us, but particularly something that we see within kids. That fall is a rebellion. Paul's command highlights this very natural thing that is in every single one of us. We don't like to obey. Right, let me, let me prove my point. If you have a kid from 2 to 18, raise your hand. Keep him up. Don't put him down. All right, so if you have a child who is from the age of 2 to 18, keep your hand up. Uh, I've got my hand up. Now, here's my question that I would ask you. If your child, so get him in your head, if your child obeys you every time, as you know, first time 
quickly, without any complaining, without any threat to desert or threat of discipline, right? Like if they obey you instantly, go ahead and put your hand down. Are any of us surprised that our hands are all up? Like why? You can go ahead and put your hands down now. We know this by the nature of just looking at our children. Kids, we love you. We were you once, right? So the point is, we come out not wanting to obey authority. Like we come out resisting other people telling us what to do. We come out with this heart of rebellion. And here's the thing. It's in every single one of us in this space. As adults, we get better at hiding it, don't we? Like we get better at skirting around it. Sometimes we even get better at like avoiding all authority completely, right? Like we just avoid authority or we try to get to the top so no one is above us. But here's the thing. There's always someone above us. Always. Even if you're at the top of your company, you probably have a board. And even if that's not the case, listen, we still have God, right? There is a drive in every single one of us to rebel. This is a fallen part of our nature. We come out this way. We don't like to obey. We push against the authorities in our lives. Now, here's the thing. In that, we are now being addressed as people, and specifically kids are being addressed, to obey because it is pleasing to the Lord. So God did not create us with this natural rebellion inside of us. God created us so that we would fall in line, that we would obey and walk in ways that are pleasing to him. And what's awesome about our circumstance, even though we all rebel, God sent Jesus to give us a picture of what it was supposed to look like, what it was supposed to be in this world. He gave us the right example of Jesus because Jesus always obeys. And he's the only one in human history that was not born with this natural inclination to just rebel. He was the only one. He was the only one who wanted to obey. Listen to how the scripture speaks of Jesus. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Any of you think your kids said, for I was born not to do my will, but the will of my parents? Like, wouldn't that be nice? Not true. Jesus said, I came, though, not to do my will in this world, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Look at this. He says, and he, talking about God the Father, sent me, God the Son, Jesus, and he said, he is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Not true of any of us. I don't even always do the things that are pleasing to my mom and dad. Right, mom? Like, she remembers. I don't always do what is pleasing to anybody, let alone God. Like, this is not true of any of us, but it was of Jesus. Jesus gives us the perfect example of a completely surrendered life to the will of God. And through his reconciling work in us, he brings life to us spiritually and makes it possible for us with this rebellious nature to actually follow his example. That's what he does. The question for us now, as his sons and daughters, as his kids, is do we seek to be obedient? Do we want to be obedient? Do we want to please him? 
Like, or do we only want to please him when it makes sense to us? Do we only want to please him when we agree with what he's saying? You know, it's interesting to me that this is one of those, one of those commands that comes with a promise, and it's the only one that is shown to come with a promise in this text. But we have to look to Ephesians to see the promise. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. This is the sister letter to Colossians. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. See, if by the power of the Spirit we begin to walk, not in rebellion, but actually see and recognize that God is for us, not against us, and that he wants to lead us to life, and we actually begin to follow and obey by the power of the Spirit that's in us, then we have this beautiful promise that it's going to go well with us. Now, caveat to that. This is primarily speaking about eternity, right? So it's going to go well with us in terms of eternity. This is not a promise that nothing bad is ever going to happen in your life. And that everything that is bad that happens in your life is out of some direct response of God in his anger towards you. That is not what this statement is saying. It is a promise, though, that if we live the way God has called us to live, there are certain blessings and there are certain benefits that come from living that way that we can experience in this world. For example, your relationships. If you begin to live in accordance with God's will for you and according to the way he's called you to live in relationships, you're going to start to find life in your relationships that's not present outside of obedience. Same thing with your work, same thing with the way you deal with your kids, the same way you deal with everything. There are those promises in this, but it isn't a promise that nothing will ever go bad. But by Jesus and through Jesus, we have this promise for us that it will go well. Now, here's something that's really important for us as we consider this idea and we consider what Paul is calling us to and how it relates to our lives. Is there something that has to happen before we will be able to obey. There's actually two things. The first thing is we have to come to salvation in Christ and be made new. We have to have his spirit come and have life given to us. The second thing that has to happen is we need to be reminded that obedience comes from love and from trust in God and his character. Like, for example, in my home, one of the things I always remind my kids is that when I ask them to obey, when I ask them to do something, at least most of the times when I ask them to obey, it's for their good. I say most of the time because I'm a broken person and sometimes I tell my kids to do things just out of selfishness, right? Like, I go to bed, why? Because it's good for you. Well, I'm tired. That's the thing that oftentimes happens, right? But, but the reality of it is this is not true of God. God's character in his calling to obedience, in his rules, and his law, they are always for our good. They are always for our benefit. They are always so that we will flourish. They are always so that we can see him clearly, so that we can see him fully. This is, God is not here to rob you of anything, despite what the enemy would like to get you to believe. God is not trying to keep good things from you. God is trying to give you the best things. He's trying to give you life. And so when he makes these rules, it is for the desire that we would find life, not to keep life from us. Our faith and our trust 
has to be anchored in that truth of his character. Kids, for you that are in this room, oftentimes when your parents are asking you to do things, you need to be able to trust that what they're asking you, more often than not, is ultimately for your good. They're not trying to keep anything from you. Think about all of the gifts they give you as kids. Think about all the freedoms they give you and how they buy you ice cream and toys and all these types of things because they love you. They're not trying to harm you. This is, the, this is an important for us when it comes to the idea of obedience. And one of the keys for both us as kids as well as for us as the children of God is to recognize with our heavenly father as well as our earthly fathers, to trust them, to trust their love for them, or for, uh, for trust their love for us, to trust their character, and to recognize that our obedience should come from that, not our understanding or our agreement. And so often that's the case for us. And I've said this before, but it's easy to obey when we see the benefit of something, isn't it? Like it's easy for us to obey when we agree with what our parents ask us to do. It's easy for us to obey when we agree with what God asks us to do. The problem is oftentimes what God asks us to do and what our parents ask us to do is in conflict with what? With what we want to do. That's where the conflict is. And so because we don't understand it, we justify in our minds that this is okay. Let me give you an illustration of how this has played out in a very, very um, specific example of my life. And I was reminded of this when I was on an airplane uh, just a couple weeks ago when I was going to Poland. I was sitting there when the stewardess was giving all the safety uh, advice and all the safety stuff that they do all the time. And, and, you know, they do that moment where they say, please put your seat in the upright position. Well, I giggled. Well, I don't really giggle, but I thought in my mind, I kind of laughed. Please don't have that image. <laughs> I just giggled in the airplane. Anyway, so I, I laughed in my mind because I remember a time when I would mock that because I was in like, does it really make any difference? Like, honestly, does that rule really matter? Like, does that little tiny three inches, right, between me being miserable and upright and me having some comfort of relaxing and being able to recline, does it really make a difference? I mean, is it like, here's life and here's death? Life, death, life, death, life, death. I used to think it was the dumbest rule. And so after they would do their final pass and, you know, the, the stewardesses would sit, buckle their seatbelt, I would hit the little button and lean back. Because I was like, this is dumb. Like, I don't understand why they're doing this. Until I was flying in an airplane with an engineer. You know, those engineers. Love them, right, Neil? Love them. Right? And, I, and I made some mocking comment about it to him, and he looks at me and says, well, you actually know that the reason for that is, is that they only load test the locking position in the upright spot, so if you have your seat back and something goes wrong in landing or takeoff, which is where it normally happens, your seat can actually snap off. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, right? So here's my point. Is the airline trying to ruin my life? Is the airline trying to keep me uncomfortable? Or is their rule actually for my good? Like once I realize that, oh, like they're not trying to ruin my life, like the rule actually makes sense. Like just imagine, isn't that the way we are all the time with God though? Like we're like, are you, you're trying to keep me from comfort. You're trying to keep me from these good things. So I don't want to listen. And in reality, it's just because we don't see. 
We don't see clearly. And in that moment, I didn't trust that the rule of the airline was for my good. I just saw it as an irritation and as a barrier to my comfort. But see, for those of us who have life restored, and we find the promise that is given to us in God's word, we have to see that for restoration to come and for these things to actually happen in our lives, we have to begin to trust and be willing to obey our king even when we don't understand. Even when we don't get it. Even when he calls us to step out in ways in which is uncomfortable to us. Like we obey because that's, he's our God and he knows It has to be stated, though, and I already said this, that to go well with us doesn't mean that nothing ever goes wrong in our lives. But it does mean that we can trust in God's character to be there for us, not against us, in every circumstance. Now, that's the goal, right? That we as children would recognize our rebellion, that we would see in Christ the example of that, that we would come to him, he would make us new, and we would begin to grow in our trust of God and his character, and we would trust in his uh, salvation granted by Christ, and that we would all live perfectly, right? Well, someday, but none of us do it yet. And so something comes into play in the midst of this world, doesn't it? And it's something called discipline. We love the idea of discipline, don't we? And Paul says this, fathers, now remember, Paul is writing to the fall. He's not writing to some just general rule. He's writing to something that is there in us. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. See, I believe in our fallen nature, we are prone to provocation and discouragement when we are doing discipline. So just think about the discipline that goes on in your life. Think about how it happens. Think about how you were disciplined by people in your world. It's not done perfectly. Oftentimes, discipline comes in anger, doesn't it? Have you ever been underneath the the hand of someone who's just angry? Oftentimes, our discipline comes from an anger in us where it's centered upon us. So I I fail at this all the time as a parent where uh, something happens in my kids and they rebel or they don't obey. And what really makes me angry isn't the threat to them. What really makes me angry is, how dare they? I'm their dad. Who do they think they are, right? And so I react out of that, and it causes me to react in harshness. It causes me to react in a way where I just want the behavior to stop. Like you, you, any, have you ever experienced discipline like this? Like this is not the world, this is not God's view of how discipline is engaged and how it's intended. There's another problem that happens is oftentimes we mix the idea of punishment and discipline. You know, those are two very different things, aren't they? Think about that. Is punishment and discipline the same? They're not at all. Punishment comes from, I want to inflict some kind of punishment upon you because you did something I don't like. Punishment is wrath, and sometimes that's just, right? So when someone murders somebody, they deserve punishment from the government. We're not trying to see them be disciplined to grow. We want punishment to come upon them. 
Now, here's what's important for us to understand. In the midst of our fall, we oftentimes, as parents and as people, as CEOs, as employees or employers and and workers in the church, we mix the idea of punishment and discipline where we look at the people that are around us and we want to inflict the punishment on them and we forget the idea and the heart of where discipline is. Now, I want to illustrate this, and and hopefully this makes some sense, but God gives us the right example of discipline when it comes to God's relationship with his church. With God's relationship with his church. I want you to hear the heart of the Father towards his people. So these are people within the church, people within the kingdom of God. Listen to God's heart in Hebrews chapter 12, and it's a little bit of a long text, but I want you to see some of these things. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. So we see that he disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may have his share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Just think of the words that are used in that text. Love, sons, those he's received for life, for our good, to share in his holiness, peaceful fruit in our lives, peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives, to be trained by it. Like This sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? This looks like something that we should long for because we need to be corrected and led towards righteousness and towards life. Do you hear condemnation in this? No, no, no. Discipline. And now here's why this is such an important thing. And before we get to this idea of restoration, this is something that we have to begin to understand. Is that punishment is for those outside of the family of God. The wrath of God is there. It absolutely is there. We call that condemnation, and that is for any who are outside of, the, outside of the, the grace and the mercy of God that is given to us by Jesus Christ. So let me give you an analogy. I want you to imagine, and it's not a far analogy. I mean, it's in the scriptures all over, but we have a kingdom that is ruled by a good king. And that good king wants to benefit for his citizens and wants to lead those citizens into life with one another, as well as with their own personal lives, as well as in relationship to him. And that king within his citizenship recognizes that there's a whole bunch of people outside of his kingdom who say, I refuse to submit myself to the authority of that king. I don't care how good he is. I will do what I want, when I want. I will not acknowledge him as king. This is how we were all born. For all of those who look at this king and say, I refuse to acknowledge you as king, and I will not obey you. And even though he constantly is reaching out to them with the grace of his son, inviting them into his good kingdom, they keep shaking their fists at him. For those people come punishment. 
And for those people will come wrath. But for the people within the kingdom who have now been and experienced and and brought into the citizenship, those who are now sons and daughters of this king, for those people, when they still walk in rebellion, God wants to, he disciplines them to lead them on to growth and maturity and flourishing and nurturing. That's what Hebrews is saying. So just think about your kids. When they step outside of the rules or the direction or the purpose in which you as parents have given to them, how do you then fix that? With a heart of love and compassion and desire for their good and desire for them to flourish? Do you help discipline them to guide them along so that they would be corrected and find life? Or do you slam the hammer down and punish the behavior with no real intent to help them move forward and to grow. If you do that, it leads to discouragement. And some of you have felt that. And see, the danger of that for us is this, and then we experience that kind of, exp- that kind of punishment in our lives, And think about your own relationships. It creates such a discouragement in it where you can begin to believe that the only way you can be accepted and valued and loved is to perform or to be good. And some of us carry that same idea into the family of God where he says, I already took care of that. You don't have to be good to be loved. You don't have to be good enough to be accepted into my family. And so some of us carry that weight all of our lives, and we're constantly fighting this idea of like, well, if I'm not good enough, then God's going to be mad. God's going to revoke my membership into his kingdom, or God's going to revoke my membership into his family. I oftentimes get this picture in my head of, of our wonderful, beautiful adopted daughter, Jade. I would never, no matter how bad and how much she rebels against me, I would never hold up her adoption certificate and threaten her position in our family. But sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Because the discipline that we experienced in the world is a discipline that is more about punishment than it is about discipline. And it's negative, and and it causes us to feel broken and and discouraged and less than. And this is something we carry and we can't. We need to trust in God. We need to trust in that. And many of us in this room feel not like beloved sons and daughters who have been adopted, but because you see the Father through the discipline that you engage or experience in this world, you see yourself as always at risk of not being stable, not being valued, not being good enough, not having enough faith, always feeling like your position in the family of God is not secure in Christ. This is a lie that Satan wants us to walk in. But we are not to view God through the, va- the failures of broken men and women and how they do discipline We are to view God through his word and what he tells us the purpose of discipline is. So if you find yourself in a place in your life where you've stepped outside of God's faithful, like his calling, his his commands, his purpose for your life, and you begin to feel what might be discipline 
that isn't because he's mad at you or angry or hates you or doesn't want you to be his son or daughter anymore. It's because he wants to guide you back onto the path of life. He wants to guide you back onto the path of life so that instead of provocation and discouragement, we can experience life and encouragement. Life and encouragement. See, the more that we live lives that seek to please the Father in every compartment, trusting his goodness and his love, when we fail, and even as some form of discipline comes, we can know that he is for us, not against us. He's for us and not against us. It's important to know that blessing and comfort, ease, they are not always evidence of blessing and good standing with God. And the life and the encouragement that we can gain from understanding God's, how he views us as his sons and daughters and how he seeks to discipline us and the purpose of that discipline under, underneath his, his, in his family, the life encouragement that we can gain from that is an ever-deepening knowledge of Jesus and an ever-deepening abiding in his love for us. It's never deepening sense that he is working in and through us as his people. It's a life that brings glory to him in our lives, a full satisfaction, a full joy in doing the will of the Father the same way Jesus did. A joy and a peace that passes understanding even in the midst of hardship. It's an encouragement that comes to know that nothing you do or don't do can change the love that God has for you as Jesus' sons and daughters, as God's sons and daughters. You can't change that. It's an encouragement that you don't have to be good enough to be loved. An encouragement that he's already given his life for your eternal happiness, and there is nothing he will withhold from you that is for your good, not even discipline. See, Jesus has already dealt with the wrath and the punishment that we all deserve. That's gone. That's why when for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we can hear the promise, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's never discipline, but there is no condemnation. That is not true for those who are outside of the family of God. And so for them, not only do they have the wrath of God to look forward to, but they don't have the promise that it will go well with them as they submit themselves to his way and his discipline at times. We have so many promises as God's children. And we fail and struggle so often to walk in those things. And my prayer is, is that by looking at this, we would not only grow in our trust to understand that when God calls us to live a certain way or God calls us to abide by certain things or to use our life for certain purposes, that we see that it's for our good, but we also see that we are secure as the sons and daughters of God. And that when discipline comes, it's not out of something that God is just shaking his head at you all the time. And that every time something bad happens, it's not because God is punishing you for something you did years ago or something you did yesterday. That condemnation has been taken. And any discipline that's there in your life is there for your good to lead you back to life in the same way that Hebrews has called you to. So here is how I want to close, just with some questions. Are you obeying your father. 
Kids in this room, like, that question may be to you first. Are you obeying your parents? Are you obeying your father? But I think it's for all of us. Are you obeying your heavenly father? Do you trust him? When he says live your life this way, do this. Don't do this. Act like this. Be like this. When he says those things, do you wholly trust him to be leading you to life? Or do you feel the rebellion in you say you're trying to keep me from something? This is a great opportunity for you. This is part of the reason why we struggle to obey. So do you feel that way towards your father? Do you want the promises that come with living in obedience with our heavenly father? Do we want the promises that come with that? When we are engaged in opportunities or situations where we need to discipline, do you discipline out of anger with yourself as the focus? Or do you discipline looking upon that person and the desire to lead them into correction so that they can flourish and they can have life and they can grow from the areas in which they've made mistakes? Where does your discipline come from, fathers? This sounds like a great Father's Day message, right? But it's not. Like, where does the discipline come from? Even as employers, are you caring for your employees or do you just want to fix their behavior and get them to do whatever you want them to do? Where does your discipline come from? Have you struggled to view God and his discipline from the perspective of negative discipline that you've experienced in this world? Do you believe that he's always shaking his head at you? Do you believe that you have to always be good to be loved? Do you believe that you're never going to be stable and secure in your relationship with the Father? That's not what he wants for you. He wants you to abide in his love. What more can God give to us than the life of his son? What more? What more could he give? So do you live in a constant state of just feeling that you have to be good enough? Are you hiding parts of your heart? Sin, addictions, failures, doubts, fears, because you're afraid that if you deal with them, that you might not be accepted. Within the church, within the eyes of your father, listen, he already knows those things. So stop hiding them. And take them to the cross and be reminded of his love for us. Do you trust the discipline of your heavenly father to be for your good? These are all questions we need to ask and, and to live in. I'm going to ask you this morning, do you, do, what do you, how do you feel about those things? How do you believe about God and his intent towards you and for you? And finally, I want to ask this question before we sing a song of response and then go into communion time. If you don't know Jesus, you understand that he's not seeking to discipline for your good. You are underneath his wrath. You are underneath his punishment. And as long as you shake your fist at him and refuse to acknowledge him as the good and rightful king and father of your soul and your life, you will not be able to experience his good intent for you. 
and you will find yourself constantly at odds against the living God. Is that the life you want to live? Or do you want to hear the love of the Father say, I gave my son for you, that you could be righteous, that all of your wrongs could be nailed to the cross? I want to invite you to understand and to see that the promise of obedience and the promise of walking as a son or daughter of God of life and encouragement and going well with you, that is for you as well. And he's calling you into it. Would you pray with me? Father, I think that so many of us walk in a world in which we have experienced discipline from an angry father, an angry mother, an angry employer, one who is focused upon themselves, not upon us and our good ones who are focused upon our behavior, not just our heart, or not our hearts. And so many of us walk around with the wounds of that. But you, when we were at our worst, brought us into your family. You made us your sons and you made us your daughters. And for those of us who've put our faith in your son, our faith and our trust in you, and we've said and confessed that you are Lord of our lives, like, Nothing threatens that. Nothing can separate us from the love of your son. Nothing. I pray, Father, for those that are struggling with that this morning, that you would encourage their hearts. I pray, Father, for those that constantly walk around feeling your disapproval, that they would rest in the grace and mercy and sufficiency of the blood of your son. And that they would be able to walk in a newness of life that is based upon your love for them and a deep and abiding trust that you are for them and not against them. Father, I pray that you would help us all walk that way. I pray that, Father, for those that are hiding their sin and their brokenness because they're afraid of not being loved, that, Father, that, that, that you would break the, break the bond of the enemy in their life in that and that they would be willing to confess and lay those things down that they might find healing. That they might find not an angry father who is ready to beat them, but they would find a loving father who never cast them out in the first place, but wants to lead them to life. I pray that we would be humble and lay our wills down and live our lives in a way that is pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, for those that are outside of your family, that, Lord, if there's any in this room this morning that are in that space, that they would hear the wonder and the peace and the joy and encouragement that comes from knowing we are secure as your sons and daughters. And that they would be willing to come and to just confess you, Lord, over their life. You say you will turn away none who come to you. I pray that they hear that this morning. As we sing this song, I want to invite our prayer counselors, elders, pastors, if you'd come up to the front this morning, if you want a prayer, you want to talk to somebody about some of the things that we discussed this morning or maybe a conviction of the Spirit upon your own heart. Maybe you've just got a challenge in your life or a struggle and you're like, I don't know if this is God's discipline for me, but it just is painful and it hurts. And and you want someone to pray with you over that, like we want to be available during this time. 
But I want you to sing this song and prepare your heart as the people of God, for those are all who are in Christ, prepare your heart to come to the table and to abide in his love and to be reminded of the work of Jesus that he's done for us and confess our sins before him and lay those things down knowing that he is for us, not against us. He will never forsake us. And he is faithful and just to always forgive those who are willing to confess their sins. So would you stand with me and let's sing this song. And if you want prayer, please come to the front.